This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Samovar Tea. To find out more, visit samovarlife.com. And by listeners like you. To find out more and make a donation, visit insideactingpodcast.com. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of Inside Acting. I'm Trevor Elga. And I'm AJ Meyer. And on this podcast, we interview actors and directors and writers and managers and agents and casting directors and everybody involved with the entertainment industry. And we put them in a podcast and put it on the internet for free for you. <laughs> what is the strange thing we've been doing for almost 50 episodes, Trevor? You can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Twitter, and it's all Inside Acting. Just do a search for Inside Acting, you'll find us. And on today's episode, we have two actors that we're very excited to be sitting down with. Uh, this is part one of a part two interview with TJ Ramini and Amel Amin. Uh, they are actors from overseas from the UK and they have a school out here called the New British School and they have some kind of interesting insights on on the differences between American actors and British actors both in terms of technique their approach to the business their approach to their art in general um, it makes for some good conversations so make sure you guys stick around for that So uh, what's going on, dude? It's been a little while since we've we've sat down in the same room. I was in Vegas for a while, and what have you been up to? I know you said you had an audition. I've been or up two. to episode forty-eight. <laughs> That's you right. Ab- you abandoned me, Trevor. <laughs> Other than that, just uh, you know, have a couple of auditions here and there, and you know, getting excited about uh, auditions coming up for uh, Gospel According to First Squad. Which I know you you'll be auditioning for as well. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, I, I'm not sure if I said it before when we did it, you know, a couple months ago, but that, that it was the most intense, amazing kind of magical, uh, exciting theater experience I've ever had. Ever you could tell it was one of those experiences you could you could really tell because I've I've only had this a handful of times in my uh, short career as an actor where you have the cast of a show just fall in love with the entire process the show itself the writing the 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 the, the sort of molding of the show um your cast mates everything just sort of clicks and everybody's just in this you know they're just living on cloud nine everybody's yeah. just euphoric about and we, it we should mention because i just realized we didn't really explain this but the <clears throat> the production of gospel according to first squad which we did with the war cycle back in August of last year was uh, was just a workshop production. It was four mm-hmm. nights only. So this mm-hmm. time around, we're going to be opening in July. Hopefully, you know, we're re-auditioning all the parts. So nothing's certain or set in stone, but um, this is going to be an official run. It's going to yeah. be, I think, a five or six week run, and it's going to be fully produced. Yeah, and uh, I cannot wait to do that again. Yeah, we're uh, gonna have a we're gonna have a Kickstarter that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I guess we can plug on. I mean, I know you guys have been so generous and great about donating to the podcast. Uh, if you have a mind to, uh, to you know, um, maybe you can kick us a few bucks on that Kickstarter whenever it goes up online. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. What's been going on with you? I mean, well, Vegas. Well, Ve- <laughs> Vegas, but before Vegas, kind of a funny story. I don't know if you remember back in episode forty-seven, I had had that. Uh, meeting for that thing that I was so certain I was going to call back for and then mm-hmm. I didn't hear anything. Yeah. Well, like the day after we published the episode, I got a, an email and a phone call saying, we'd really love to have you back. The client really liked you. And I was like, great. So I went in. So this is a callback. This was a callback. For your meeting. <laughs> for, for the meeting. That's right. This is a meeting callback. And uh, I went in and uh, had a blast doing it. I just, I just felt prepared. I felt confident. I felt present. I felt everything that Neil McDonough talked about in his, his episodes. <laughs> like I was in there. We were a team. And it went really great, and just it was the same kind of reaction from everybody all around. And I left thinking, like, that's a done deal. Like, I'm so excited to work this job. And then the next day, right before I left for Vegas, I got an email that was sent out to everybody who had auditioned, and it said, due to circumstances beyond our control, the project has been postponed. Thank you so much for coming in. We'll keep you abreast of other projects that we do in our office. I think I told you this. Right before I booked the... Toyota gig, uh, we got a similar email 
from the person who was sort of a, helping with That's casting. Right. And they said she uh, sent an email out that said that the client decided to go in a different direction. Yeah. They weren't going with the idea anymore. And that email, like you said, went out to everybody who had who had auditioned. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, I got a call saying that I had booked it. I wouldn't discount it entirely. Yeah. You never know. And they said postponed. They didn't say canceled or right. or whatever. So right. who knows? It could resurface in two weeks. And and, and they didn't say you were postponed either. <laughs> That's right. They just I'm, said hoping, the I'm hoping. I'm hoping. I'm hoping that I you know quote unquote booked this office. I feel really good about the work I did, and they they seem to respond very well. So I'm hoping that uh, I go back in there. More I frequently. Think, I think a callback is evidence enough that you booked the office, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I hope so. But I, 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 for me, the real proof is when they bring you time and time again for different projects that maybe aren't even the same Fair thing, enough. you know? My um, commercial agent, Chris, always says, if you get a callback, you're doing your job. That's yeah. how we know you're doing your job. Yeah I, yeah, I like that. If you get a callback, you're doing your job. You got a good agent there, Trev. <laughs> I'm jealous. <laughs> So we've got a a couple emails and voicemails we wanted to respond to on today's episode. This first um, one actually kind of goes along with what we were just talking. This first about. one's great. Do you want to? Do you want to take this one? Yeah, this uh, came to us from uh, Joe Bowen, uh, who has written into the podcast before, and he was responding to what something we were talking about in episode forty-seven about "quote unquote" not caring mm-hmm. when you go to say a commercial audition or, or what have you. And he said that uh, he had this great acting teacher who used to say, "Don't want the job, just do the work." I love that. It's like don't yeah. don't go in there thinking like, "Oh, I gotta book the, I gotta book this job. I, I want to book this job. I want to book this job and work on the job. Just do the work." Just yeah. which you know one of the reasons I like this quote so much is because that's how I feel when I work on uh, uh, like a ninety nine seat theater thing when there's a little bit less pressure and I feel like I'm, you know, working on this character or my craft or whatever you want to call it in those rehearsals. Like you have those, that rehearsal time to kind of work on that. Mm -hmm. I don't apply that same fun and passion and work ethic. Not that I'm lazy, but the same type of work ethic to these film and television and big theater like p- big paid projects right. that have been going out on. It's it's something yeah. that kind of threw me for a loop. It kind of made me check that's, myself that's a little bit. That's interesting. I never even thought about that until you just mentioned it just now. But 99-seat theater really is a, a passion process. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a different flavor of, of work that kind of it brings out of you. Yeah, and, and this just sort of was a cool reminder. You know, don't want the job, just do the work. I love that. So anyway, thanks, Joe. We wanted to kind of just bring it up because, yeah. you know, it's a response to a previous uh, episode. But I just thought, I don't know, it... It's kind of like gave me warm fuzzies inside. <laughs> I'm gonna. I feel like I'm gonna like print that out in big giant letters, hanging on my wall, or put it somewhere where I have to look at it before I go into. We should we should tweet that from the Inside Acting Twitter account and just say hashtag warm fuzzies. <laughs> we should start a warm fuzzies hashtag. Yeah. <laughs> I think there probably already is one, but... The, All but, right, well, we'll jump on the bandwagon. Yes, warm fuzzies. So we also have an email from uh, a gentleman named JR who wrote in, and um, I'm going to kind of read most of his email here because it's uh, he brings up a lot of interesting stuff. So JR says, I work in Portland, mostly doing theater. He's also part of an ensemble. Uh, but over the last year, he says, I've booked some great TV and commercial things, most notably a guest star spot on Leverage. Congrats, by the way, dude. He says, but you know, I've done some industrials, commercials, and the like, and my agent has uh, something of an aloof personality, which normally is fine, except when it comes to representing me (laughs) to (laughs) casting directors and the like. Now, now when she took me on, she had had me do a couple of monologues for her, and she saw the episode of Leverage, and that's all she's ever seen me do. I invite her to every show I do, and I've been working pretty often, but she not so casually ignores my invitations. So what I'd really like to do is sit down with her and discuss the idea that she doesn't really know what I'm capable of, and shouldn't she? Personally, I feel that's an appropriate step to take, but I wanted to see if either of you had anything anything to say about it. Uh, and we certainly do. So what's what's your kind of well, you, yeah, you had a, you had a great response to this. You know, uh, Trevor actually took the time to respond to Jr. Uh, via email. I had a very specific gut reaction because I actually could totally empathize with JR in that I've actually had this experience. 
mm-hmm. with pre- previous representation. You you know this. We've talked about this on the podcast. Yeah. I'm working all the time in some doing something. If it's not you know a paid gig, it's probably 99 seat theater. I'm constantly working because, and I know you you do this as well. We both feel like it's a great way to hone your craft. We're both constantly you know just itching to be on stage. And I was doing show after show after show after show after show. And this representation came to see one thing that I was in. And Mm. it wasn't until it was a big flashy thing, like a big, like opening. It was a paid gig and the, you know, it was a big opening night with like, you know, food and free food and wine at this really (sighs) nice venue and all this stuff. And it just felt kind of like, Really, man? Like I've been inviting you down to like my my passion, you know, uh, work down in, in in this tiny little space and in, in Santa Monica for and and this this theater, this big flashy theater, was just as far from his office as our little ninety nine seat theater, you know, down yeah. in Santa in in Santa Monica, Venice area. I've been inviting you to these plays that I'm so passionate about for years, man for years and you came to this one that really bummed me out yeah and you You know know, just to kind of piggyback on what you're saying here on one level i can kind of understand that because agents are you know it's their job they're they they want to make money and so you know taking two three hours out of a weekday night or a weekend night to go see something where you gotta wrestle for parking and things like that in a theater that may not be so well maintained it makes sense to me that they might be hesitant to do that but at the same time, you're going to see a whole different side of one of your clients that may give you an idea of how to pitch them for something that you may not have seen them for otherwise. And it's right. kind of your duty to know you, your clients inside and out. Right. I guess, yeah, I guess you're right in that it's it's not necessarily their job to come. And maybe we should be saying this to JR as well. It's not necessarily their job to come see you in show X. Yeah. It is their job to know you as an actor. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what JR is is saying, but you had some really great advice in terms of how to make that happen in your email response, which I loved. I mean, he kind of posed the question. He said, do you think I should sit down with them and tell them how I feel? And I'm a huge fan of just having meeting regular meetings with your team. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this in the email, but you know, your agents, your manager, your publicist, your lawyer, if you have one, they're all part of your team. You employ them. Literally, Mm -hmm. you are the CEO of JR Inc., and you employ these people. You know they get ten percent of the cut of whatever you make. Um, yes, it's their job to kind of to kind of submit you for these things, but you're getting ninety percent of the profits. And yes, you're doing ninety percent of the work when you're actually on set or on stage or whatever. But make sure you guys are on the same playing field. So let them know what your goals are and what your kind of perceived trajectory is as, as an actor for your career. You know, I think there are a lot of actors that go there and they're just kind of like, cool, I got an agent. Okay, now I'm going to sit back and wait for him to submit me to stuff, you know? And it's just kind of, that kind of passive thing very rarely yields real results. I think the most effective actors are the ones that have an idea, a 90-day goal for what they want to, how they, you know, what they want to book, what they want to work on. They're realistic about it. Then they have a year goal and they have a two-year goal and a three-year goal and a five-year goal. And they sit down with their team and they say, these are the things that I want, these are the types of roles that I think I could nail right now. And if you're proactive and you really sit down with your team and you tell them these things, when a role comes in that fits your description, or maybe even it doesn't, and they, they think, God, but you know, he could play this because it was part of his plan, you know, then then you're you're much more likely to get a response from them. I'm not saying that that JR is sitting back and being passive at all, but um and it's very like very it's entirely possible that his agent is is aloof and maybe isn't the best agent in the world. There's a lot of agents out there that are kind of grab ass agents. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I think there's a lot to be said for really thinking that through on your own end and then getting in there and saying, this is my plan. This, these are the strategies I want to use to get there. Can you help me do it? Yeah. Well, I think communication is really the, the key. And I think it's something that a lot of actors, myself included, aren't the greatest at because we feel like, I don't know, like, like we're, I don't want to say bothering them, but there's a sort of fear element of like, oh, if I reach out to them, they're going to like drop me or they're not going to want to represent me or they're going to think I'm obnoxious or they're going to think I'm bugging them. I I so regret not being that person with my prior representation, Mm. not really like, you know, setting up meetings all the time, coming in, asking questions, chatting with them, telling them what my goals were. Like you just said, I so regret 
uh, not doing that. And now I have a great relationship with, with my manager and, and, um, my agent. It's, uh, it's, it's very communicative and I feel like I can say things to them that I, I never felt uh, I could say to them before. And, and they've said things to me where I'm like, wow, that was really brutally honest. And I'm like, okay, thank you. Let's, let's either go back to the drawing board or let's tweak something or yeah, what have you. So yeah, I think uh, it really helps to kind of run this as a business, you know, have set up a quarterly meeting reminder in your iCal or your, or your Outlook program calendar, whatever you use and have it remind you every 90 days to get in touch and set up a meeting with your agent and really evaluate how the last three months have gone. That's a fantastic idea. And then just be like, you know, like, okay, these are the things I wanted to have booked by now. Did I do them? Did I, did I bring everything to the table that I possibly could as an actor for this agent to do their job? Do everything possible. Are your headshots up to date? Does your reel reflect your, what you want to book, the kind of roles you want to book and, and who you are as an actor? Is it up to date? Is your resume up to date? You know, are you getting into the casting director workshops with these people who can help you move your career forward? Yeah. It's not up to the agent, I think, alone to work their relationships. Every There's not an agent in town that won't be, <laughs> that won't feel incredibly blessed to have an actor that can bring relationships to the table that yeah. the agent didn't already have. Yeah. I, I, I love that quarterly meeting idea. That is amazing. That is choice. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to go put that in my, in my, do, uh, it. do it now. Do it now. I'm going to go put that in my calendar <laughs> right now. Do it. All right, so we have a voicemail that we want to get to as well. This is coming to us from longtime listener Susan Moss. Suggestion for a future show. I'm in the process of exploring uh, creating a theater group here in Atlanta, uh, sort of a mini ensemble kind of thing, and would be very interested in sort of your top ten lessons learned from going through that process yourself. I know the market's different, Atlanta and L.A., but I'm sure a lot of the basics, uh, getting there the hard way, are the same kind of story. So if you got any insight to share on that, I'd love to hear it. Keep it up, guys. Great work. Well, this is a big question. Um, she yeah. said she did say idea for a future episode. I kind of feel like it would need an, an episode to kind of go over all the trials and tribulations that we've had at the Los Angeles Theater Ensemble. Yeah, but maybe um, I mean you've had a little more experience because you were kind of a, a you know quote unquote founding member of our theater ensemble, and I kind of came on at, at the start, but not quite as at the start as you. You were at some of the initial meetings, so yeah. Can you think of maybe three things right off the bat that? that might be uh, pitfalls to avoid or things to really kind of take advantage of. It's all about the people is the first one. Mm -hmm. It's all about the people. And I don't mean just like, you know, work with your friends, although that helps work with people that you trust artistically, financially, uh, personality wise, be wary of anyone, even a friend who is very controlling they want things to be sort of more their way than anyone else's mm -hmm. be very, very wary of that because that kind of person can be a thorn in the side of the theater company in, in, in yeah. the future. Be wary of butting heads, people who have, you know, opposite personalities or, you know, you feel like they're not, I mean, you might think like, Oh, this is great. This is going to like add some perspective. But when it's a small group and you're just getting started, it, that makes it kind of tough. So I guess be very selective with the people that you choose to, to get yourself involved with. First of all, I would say, you know, try and find a space for yourself. The problem with that is that that can be very expensive and can make yeah. it very difficult for a, a theater company that's just starting out. It's always nice to be able to have a venue to actually put on your productions but at the same time it's you know with great power comes great responsibility <laughs> like we when we eventually took over the powerhouse like that was not easy and it's still not easy it's basically like kicking our butts because we have to put out so much content mm -hmm. uh, sometimes up to six shows per year just to kind of pay the rent it's not easy and it totally saturates your audience and um yeah. It doesn't sound like a lot, but a four or five week run, that only gives you three weeks off between shows. Yeah. You yeah. Know. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. And you have, you have basically two shows going on at once every, t every all year because yeah. you have one show rehearsing while another one's performing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's insane. And plus rentals and other, mm -hmm. other groups using the space if you share it or choose right. to share it. Right. So, 
Yeah, maybe that's another one. Be willing to collaborate. So talk to other theater groups. Find out who else is doing what you want to do in your in your town. Who's already successful doing it, and um, be willing to collaborate with that group. And then I think the most important thing, more than anything else, really, is just to define for yourself what your beliefs are, what your goals or objectives are for this theater company. And I don't necessarily mean like how much money you're going to make. But more along the lines of what Simon Sinek calls the golden circle in in his his book, he talks about starting with why. What is your why? There's a really great video where he, he did a TED talk, actually, so we should just post it on the website. So go go to InsideActingPodcast.com and just check out this video where he talks about, you know, what is your why? And he's applying it to business, but you can apply it to anything. You can apply it to your life as, a, as an actor or just your life in general. You can apply it to any business you're starting, whether it's like a theater company or a production company or, or, or your side business as an actor that you're going to use to sort of make money while you, uh, while you pursue your, your, your career as an actor. And what, what he is trying to get across is that humans gravitate towards products, services, and other human beings when they share common beliefs. And so it's not, it's, it's, it'll be, it's going to be impossible to sell shows or to get people to come out and see your shows as a theater company by just saying, you know, we're doing, you know, this Shakespeare play, come see it. Yeah. You gotta have a a mission statement. Exactly. Yeah. You create your why, your belief system so that your audience will eventually grow from people with similar beliefs. Well, in the first uh, se- first season or two of with the ensemble, we actually had themes for the season. Mm-hmm. I think the first season's theme was the overlooked, mm-hmm. and all the plays kind of examined that from some different perspective, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, it, and that's it, something it, audiences can get can get on board with. That creates repeat business, I think. Right, and and now what's sort of become uh, a little bit of the signature of the ensemble is things having to do with uh, war. In general, mm-hmm. like, you know, we, we have the war cycle, but we're also about to do a production of Lysistrata. So everything sort of like revolving, you know, has a, a, a little bit of a, um, uh, it's, it's mm-hmm. touching upon that idea or those ideas or those conflicts. And, you know, you sort of have like this signature that you're going to leave on the world. And what will happen is eventually you will, you will attract sort of like-minded people. And that goes for the people working with the company and the people that you perform for. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. go to the website, check out the video, and you know if anybody else has anything they want to add on to this, please write into the podcast or you know send us a, a voicemail or an email or what have you. And Susan, we may actually, Trevor and I were a bit inspired, we may actually do a, an episode on this. Well, I think there's going to be a lot of overlap too between starting a, a production company and starting a theater company. I think there's some things that, that, that mesh there. Some That's ideas. true too. So um, you know we've talked a lot about creating your own kind of like little filmmaking group. And the next logical step to that is creating a, you know, legitimate production company. Um, so there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> up. Definitely. Cool. Let's roll into this interview. We've got part one of our interview with TJ Ramini and Amel Amin. So without further ado, here's the interview. We'll see you guys on the other side. Okay, guys, welcome back. I am sitting here with two people that I've I've been excited to have on the podcast for a while, actually. TJ Ramini and Amel Amin, two actors who are consistently working, and they've also started their own school here in Santa Monica. And I think we're going to have some interesting conversation about not only their background, but also the difference, I think, between uh, American and Australian and British actors. I mean, there seem to be a lot of Amer- Australian and British actors being cast these days. And I know you guys have some, some insight on that. So <laughs> it should be, it should be fun to talk about. So thank you guys for being here. Thank, thank you. Thanks us. very much for having us. Cool. Yeah, so you guys know what we do on the podcast here. And I think we really like to start at the beginning most of the time. I mean, you guys are obviously, 
you've been working in this industry for a little while, you've had some success, um, and you've got a, ne- a unique perspective because you're not from the United States. So you're kind of a first on this podcast. But before we get into all that, how did you guys get started? I mean, wh- what happened to bring you from birth <laughs> through, <laughs> through to, to choosing a career in this industry? Well, my parents were at a party, and my father had a look at my mother from across a uh, smoke-filled <laughs> dance floor. Uh, no, um, I mean, we've actually had very different uh introductions into this into this business um it was funny actually just before we we um we started this this um interview um we were chatting about a project that we're going to be doing in london uh, the early part of next year and uh, for me my my mother was actually um an anchor woman on the news she would do the uh, the six o'clock news in um, in london which is where i'm from and um i never really I never really thought about doing anything else. You know, like when you're a little kid and you're at school and someone says, you know, I want to be a fireman or a policeman or, you know, whatever it is. I was always an actor. Always. I was always going to say I want to be an actor. And, you know, it just seemed to me that it was the the, the coolest thing that you could do. You know, I mean, I was born in the mid-70s. And so a lot of the films that were kind of coming out at that time when I was at that impressionable age, you know, I mean, I grew up with obviously the Star Wars films and Indiana Jones and, you know, Jaws and like what was happening at the cinema um, when I was kind of, you know, six and seven was just, it was, it was astounding and it, it blew my mind. And I just thought the people on that screen, this is what they do for a living. They go to work and they, mess around pretty much yeah, and have an amazing time. Isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's you extraordinary. Still, still and I just thought, it. why would anybody ever want to do anything else? And I guess because, like I said, for me, it was formed in my mind from such a young age. I never maybe had the maturity to even question it. It was just like, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to be. And that was, that was it for me. It's different for Amel, but um, that's my story. I kind of jumped out of the, the womb dancing and entertaining <laughs> no my whole my whole family my my dad is from the caribbean and he was in a group uh a singing group that brought him over from the caribbean to england and so from from an early age we always used to perform in front of my dad and stuff like that so and i remember the story goes i was watching like macaulay Culkin and home alone when i was six or seven years old and i ran up to my dad and my mom was like dad dad i want to be an actor and like i'm a man are you sure son i was like yeah 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 (laughs) i'm are you sure and i was like yeah yeah, i'm sure i'm sure i'm sure and um they sent me to stage school from seven years old and um so i've been i was actively working as an actor from seven my first job was a job called one two three hullabaloo with flola benjamin it's like (laughs) dancing with a teddy bear at seven years old and singing and dancing and, you know, went on to do kind of West End theatre when I was young, you know, um, Oliver, you know, Oliver Twist sure. and stuff like that. And Jolson and worked with Michael Jackson when I was 11 years old. And it was kind of... So, I've never heard of him. Yeah. But, uh, I hear he's done quite well. He's done okay, man. He's <laughs> no, no longer with us, actually. No, right. Yeah, we speak to him every now and again. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, uh, I, I kind of, so I had a really entertainment background for a very long time, you know, in being in stage school. And when I left stage, stage school at 16... I said, okay, I'm going to completely focus myself on acting. And everybody thought I was going to be a dancer because, you know, I dance as well. But I was like, focus on acting. And I went to a normal school and kind of picked up. And then me and TJ met each other um, on a cop show, like the biggest cop show in, in England. Yeah, what show was that again? It was called The Bill. It was running for like 25 years. Wow. And, um it obviously uh, shut down after we left. Absolutely. I, I held it up for one more year. I, think not. I tell you what, my back, <laughs> carrying that show. <laughs> no, right. I tell he you, my chiropractor, he's got some stories. <laughs> he left and I was there for like one more year. And then That's right. it, it kind of shut down two years later, like genuinely speaking. Yes. Mm. I mean, we, listen, we it formed ran, our it relationship. for 27 years and it was a fantastic program. And, um, uh, you know, both Amel and I feel very strongly that that was a huge, uh, a huge launching pad for... For both of us, not just because, um, you know, the quality of the work and, and what have you and being on such a big show. It's very different as well in England. Like, you know, here, you know, you've got your networks, but then you've got so many really strong cable channels with really strong programs on those uh, networks. Whereas in the UK, it's still slightly more old fashioned in the fact that people only really watch BBC One, BBC Two, ITV, Channel Four. That's it. So there's kind of four channels to choose from. And um, ITV which is the uh, the most popular station um, in the UK, this show, The Bill, was the one cop show that they had. You know, even, again, just before this interview, we were chatting and laughing about how many 
you know, yeah. uh, procedural cop shows there are yeah. here. Whereas in the UK, there was really only one. That one, yeah, yeah. which was the bill. And it was every single week. And every single person that you can name has passed through that show. You yes. know, people, actors that are really big in Hollywood yes. now, whatever. Yes, everybody McAvoy, Jude Law. Show. Everybody passed you through know, the Melamine. TJ Romini. Nice pickup. But, you know, it's, it was an amazing experience for us because, um, you know, all the training and whatever that we've received and you know like Emil said he was at um a stage school from a very very young age and I never went to stage school I I had a relatively normal sort of childhood you know regular school and then when I was 11 I went to boarding school um I mean I had a little bit of, uh, of what Emil had when I was nine I did a, cu- a couple of West End um uh plays you know which is the equivalent of Broadway here um but for me, again, it was just kind of, I was still lost in that childhood dream of what show business was. So to me, it wasn't really working. It was just kind of, because you're messing around, aren't you? And that sort of childhood naivety. I think when you're in the theatre, you're, you're allowed to be a bit more sort of whimsical about it. Like if you are Macaulay Culkin and you're, you know, six years old or whatever it was when he was doing Home Alone and like carrying a film, I would imagine it's different. But, you know, I'm running around on stage and just having a wonderful time. And then, you know, my mum picks me up and I go home and we have McDonald's on the way home. And, you know, that's, <laughs> right. that, that's a happy day for me. But, um, you know, when I, when I went to boarding school, um, there was, you know, there was a focus on drama to a degree, but it wasn't a drama school. You know, it's a completely sort of different experience. And so then becoming a working actor and then picking up a show like The Bill, where our workloads were, I mean, they were just immense, yeah. weren't they? Yeah. I mean, they were six days a week. You get there at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning. So shoot three episodes at the same time. Three episodes at the same time. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I often wouldn't know what storyline, you know, I was doing for a particular scene until I put the suit on. Because, you know, I was a, a detective. So... And one of the character traits of the detective is that he was a very snappy dresser. So I'd be like, what episode is this? And it'd be like, okay, like it's the two button, you know, brown pinstripe with the blue shirt, you know, and that would yeah. be, I was like, oh, right. Yes. That's the story about the, you know, I don't know, the little girl that went missing or, you know, whatever it would be. Um, but just as far as training, I think like training ourselves as actors and also training our, our minds, um, I definitely agree with you. It's been on the job, you know, yeah, man. going, going to the, you know, having all the experience I've had is, uh, as a child is great but there's nothing like going up in, in front of a real set uh, with, with everything is going on you know mm. you've got to learn to step on your marks you know you've got to learn right. how to deal with yes, that's bringing yeah. your performance to life where there's so much other things going on like yes. really important things you know right. and I think you know the bill was a phenomenal experience but a great training ground yes, to be absolutely. doing a hundred we did I don't know between us probably 200 episodes yeah sure let's, let's talk you about know? how you how you, now how did you so we this is something that comes up a lot on the podcast mm-hmm. people are like okay so you started you wanted to be an actor and all of a sudden you got cast on the show like what what was what happened between those things was it like one of those luck of the draw things where it just hit no or did you really I, I work think, your way up through think, co-star I, and background oh, stuff I, I, well, and all that I was on the bill twice before I <clears throat> became a regular on it I was oh, cool. on the bill as a kid, and then I was on the ki- the, the bill as like a as a bad boy, and then I came back as a as a regular. And you know, I'd been doing the rounds for many many years. Um, I don't think I think very I think in America especially in this town, what is phenomenal about the Hollywood community is you're always one job away from it all blowing up. Um, in the UK, it's very different. You know, you, you can't really. I, there's nowhere really to blow up, you know, in the remits mm. of what we have. You can be on EastEnders or The Bill or Coronation Street and be wor- a working actor. So that attitude, I think, formulates in your mind from a very kind of, uh, from the experience, from the job, knowing you can't really blow up and become a star. You can be on a, you could be on a TV show and be a working actor. Yes. So that is really ingrained in us. And I think what we'll, what we'll come to later is that's one of the reasons why I think a lot of British and Australian actors are very successful because of that. They maintain that, you that know, mentality, that mentality. Yes. And I saw Hugh Laurie the other day and, you know, he's just rolling around like a really humble guy. And it's about, you can tell still, you know, uh, all the success he's had is still about the work. Um, so um, in answer to your question, no, it didn't just happen like that. You mm-hmm. know, especially this experience of coming to America, it's an active decision. A lot of people talk about um, and TJ, having t- taken that leap kind of two, three years before I did, that kind of really encouraged and inspired me from a distance to see that he'd come here um, off his own back, decide he's going to do it, you know, came in, did 24 and uh, mm. Boston League and all these different shows. And that was real encouragement for me 
to actually say, all right, I'm going to take it seriously and really go and step forth and actually do it. But it is that it is an actual continued working thing, you know. I think I think the thing is as well, and, and you know, just to um, uh, you know, to further illustrate what what Amel was saying is that he's absolutely right that in in the UK we don't have those monster shows like you know Heroes or Twenty Four or. God, I'm going to do everyone a tremendous dis- or NCIS or you know Law and Order, you know all CSI, these all mon- those, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. Mon- you know Lost and you know all these tremendous television programs that if you are you know doing terrific work on one of those monster hits, well then you're pretty much you're not guaranteed a, you know a movie star or whatever, but you're going to get movie roles and like decent movie roles, and then of course you do that and and then. You're, you know, you're on to, like um, Josh Dumel, for example, you know, was on that Las Vegas program. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, very yeah. handsome chap, terrific actor, very charming bloke. And um, actually, a mate of mine <clears throat> used to run a, a, a bar in Santa Monica and he used to go in there all the time. He said he's a lovely fella. So, you know, good luck to him. He's on, he's on that TV show. He's doing really well. And then he gets, you know, the Transformers gig. And, and now the guy's a movie star. And so, but in the UK, no one would ever turn around to a male and go, I've been watching you on the bill. You're going to get this. I can't even say that without laughing. But, uh, you know, no disrespect to, to my dear friend here, but and also to the show. It just doesn't work like that in the UK. So the job is the job and that's it. And you're, I know it's a cliche, but you're only ever as good as your last performance or your last mm. paycheck or however, mm. however you want to do it. So for us, it just, you're just going in and you're just doing the best, most consistent possible work that you can, because you never know when it's going to end, but you know that it's not going to catapult you onto that sort of stratosphere next level. It just doesn't happen. And that's why, again, a lot of us make the decision. And when I met uh, Amel, we were working on uh, on the bill. Well, he was 19 only, and he, he was, was only, like he, he was only 19, old. you know. Ancient. And uh, yeah, when, when was... <laughs> I, I was 74 at the time. No, no, but I mean, I knew, because I always knew I was coming here. Always, always, always. It's the Premier League of what we do. Like I said, I've never seen myself as anything else. I'm an actor. That's what I do. And this is, this is the mecca of the entertainment business. So I, I was always coming here. And when I met Amel, I, you know, not that I'm some sort of great soothsayer of this business or whatever, but I do believe I've been around enough and been around enough actors. And again, to use another sort of horribly wanky cliche, I'm a student of the game uh, to a degree where I can spot someone who has, you know, the talent, the perseverance, the correct attitude, the motivation, the dedication, blah, 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 blah. And within about an hour of Amel and I chatting between scenes, we would be playing pro evolution soccer in my dressing room at the time. I was three nil up, but that's not important. I, suck. Uh, <laughs> um, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going man. And you, you should go too, because you're good enough and you're, and you know, being, being good. I mean, we'll probably get into it again later. when We start to talk about the class and, and, and whatever. That's a multifaceted thing, mm-hmm. you know, to, to make it here um, to whatever degree, you know, to be to be booking jobs here because I think it's too harsh as well. Like people, oh, you're an actor. What have you done? Like straight away. Like I don't I don't meet a baker and go, where, where are the donuts that you made? You know, I'm <laughs> you're a baker, you're a baker, terrific. But when you're an actor, people immediately want to know what have I seen you on? What have you done? Yeah. So we are kind of under under pressure, um, not only from ourselves but by the people that we meet, just the, you know, by the virtue of, of of what we do for a living. Um, you know, actually on that note, if I can yeah, just quickly on. jump in, because Please, on that yeah. note, you guys have some neat <clears throat> stories about how you came over here and then wanted to be on these certain shows. And yes. then you actually were, I mean, you actually, yes. you saw it and then you made it happen. Yes. Um, so can we, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, sure. you, you, you got over here Yeah. I mean, and then um, it's like, where do you go? How do you start? Well, for me, um, I mean, I was doing this show, you know, I was on the bill and I was this detective on this show and, you know, I could have stayed on that forever and. You know, had a very nice life, and or not, you know, or not. Now. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. Uh, it's uh, you know, staying on it for you know for however long, and and been famous, and you know, whatever. Um, but for me, I knew that um, I would never be on a show like those shows that we talked about before. We don't do those shows in the UK. We just don't. And so I remember actually having coffee with a dear friend of mine, uh, another actor called Graham McTavish. Um, 
was a dear friend of mine and we were on the bill together for a while and we were sitting in a, in a coffee shop in Muswell Hill in North London, which is where I'm from. And we were saying to each other, unless we move to LA, we'll never be on a show like 24. We, we were both huge 24 fans. And um, whenever I tell this story, it always makes Annie cry. Um, and, um, and when, you know, I moved here and obviously I was, I was fortunate enough to, to be on that show. And on my last day on 24, I was in the, the PR department. I was talking to the, to the PR girls in there and I heard Graham's voice and he heard my voice and I called out Graham and he went TJ and he walked around the corner and he just auditioned for 24 as well. And wow. literally my last day on 24 was his first day on 24. And we both did it and it was the last ever season. Um, and listen, I mean, he's doing tremendously well. I don't know if anyone saw the new Rambo film, but he was the, the second lead in that was the SAS guy with the, with the bald head and just going around and, you know, eviscerating baddies with an <laughs> enormous machine gun. And now he's, um, he's one of the leads in The Hobbit and he's off in New Zealand. Oh, that's great. Um, filming The Hobbit and him. just having a wonderful time. And, and uh, I couldn't be happier for him because he's a terrific actor and a lovely fella. Um, but yeah, so that was, for me, I knew I was coming here and I had a very clear focus. I don't know if... I don't know, you know, maybe people who, you know, you know, that whole the secret thing, you know, the law of attraction or whatever. I don't know if that played any part, but um, I knew that when I came here, that was something that I wanted to to do. And cool. fortunately, it, uh, it it happened. And you made it happen. Yeah. For me, I mean, I, I always, um, I don't know. For me, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I always kind of decided to myself in my dreamlike head, if you ever go back to any interview and they said, where will you be in five years? I said I'll be I'll be in Hollywood as an actor. Jim saying so that, that um, seeing someone do it encouraged me. But I always had the dream from 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 forever. Do you know what I'm saying? Because I being a young person, um, you don't have many people to look. I didn't look up to many British actors of in my in my day because I didn't couldn't relate to them. You know who I was looking up to was like the Fresh Prince and you know or right, people like that. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? So that kind of really influenced and made me want to dream big. You know so. My journey here was literally, I mean, I came over here in um, 2009 uh, for a week. I was lucky enough to get my manager, Tammy Rosen, who kind of just believed in me. And she said, okay, cool. We're going to run with it, see what happens. Um, throughout the year, I ended up auditioning back and forth for various different projects from England, put myself on tape. and um, Oh, that's great. Yeah. And then literally in January, um, I just finished these plays I'd done in England and I was, uh, you know, you get you get moments of frustration. I and I, I remember speaking to someone, um, uh, a, a friend of mine called Kwame, and I was like, "Oh God, I want to just, I just need to make that leap." And I had I, I got the opportunity to audition for a show, uh, an ABC show called Detroit One Eight Seven. I auditioned for it, put myself on tape, and the next day I was flying out to do the test. Right on, you know. And I came I came here. They did their thing. I didn't get the job, I, I, and I literally broke down in my uh, in my um, in my hotel room. I literally was like, my God, you know, um, I was, you know, I just literally broke down. I called my co cousins, my girlfriend, my, my brother, just like for encouragement. I remember people teaching. He was like, God, I thought you were going to get it, dude. Because like, <laughs> he could tell. And I was That's like, a very good impression of you. Know, and I, was, I was like, I was like, uh, he goes, I thought this is the one, dude. <laughs> and yeah, I was like, yeah, thanks, dude. Cheers. <laughs> it wasn't. I'm going home. But no, but literally, something changed in me a little bit. And, I, you know, I went from being, coming here, and I was like, oh my God, I'm very th happy and thankful to be here. And having that breakdown moment and having and having more auditions, like, a couple of days later. And I, I went from being very happy to be here to, I deserve to be here. And I'm going to prove to myself I deserve to be here by going out there. And actually, yes. whatever happens, whether I get a job or not, every single room, I'm going to leave slaying it, you know? Yes. Mm. Not that I didn't slay it on my test, but the, and I, I went from a shift in mindset of, oh my God, I can do all of this and I can kind of control my future to, no, the only control I have is going in that room, slaying it, doing the absolute best I can and leaving. And um, so I ended up um, testing for another ABC show and then... And then, and at the same time, auditioning for another show, um, Harry's Law. And um, I auditioned three times. And then David E. Kelly uh, gave me an offer for the for the show, you know, without without testing. I was very fortunate. Without screen but, testing? Yeah, without screen testing. Because um, right I tested for, for other shows, you know. And uh, it, was, it, was a great, it was a great moment, man. I remember getting the call. Four, I was on Skype to my mum. And mm -hmm. I remember getting my brother press record <clears> as well. And I remember 
getting the call to, to, to um, that's so cool. And to, to, so it's all there. You can all hear my voice and all that. And I, I just had that <laughs> moment of feeling like someone asked me at home when I did interviews back in London about it, like, how did you feel? And I was like, it was just, just a moment of peace. Hmm. I felt really, hmm. <sighs> yes, I felt like that for a second. And right, I remember, right. I remember um, even though me and TJ are in the same country, I Skyped him and he, <laughs> he was all teary eyed. He was like, "Dude, I can't believe it." Yeah, that's it was, fantastic. it was, it was, it was amazing, man. Just, I just have that nostalgia. And that's encouraging, you know. That's 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 encouraging. That mm. dreams do happen. It's not a a, a corny thing, or yes. it's not a time old. I mean, that's that's why the expression mm-hmm. Hollywood story, I think, exists. Yeah. And, and you know, Amel's story, it's it's. Uh, I mean, it was staggering and phenomenal and, and, and what have you, but it's a very real story. This happens all the time. Every day. Yeah. And um, I think one of the things that Amel was talking about, which is very, very important for me, and I think, you know, I, I, I don't want to come across as, 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 as preachy in any way. These are just our opinions, you know. And again, we talk about this in class all the time. We're just actors. There's no secret to this. There's... I mean, of, of, of course, there's of course there's a method, and we have a journey. And it, you know, we we do plot a course for for you know the actors that are involved in our class. But I just think for for anyone, anyone that's an actor, knowing that you you're good enough and that you deserve it, are huge. And you can only feel like you're good enough and you deserve it if you are. Mm. You know what I mean? Like but- if you're saying I want it and I deserve it are different. You know. Um, if, if you look at, uh, you know, I mean, it's, I think it's horribly exploitative, but if you look at, you know, the early rounds of American Idol, for example, when they're literally just wheeling in all these people just for footage and just to belittle people who, you know, have, you know, who have issues or, or, or whatever it is. And I, I think it's appalling in, in all honesty. But all of those people bring themselves to tears and take themselves to, to you know, to a degree of absolute mania with mm. how badly I, I want this so bad. I want it so bad. I want it so wanting it so badly and knowing that you're good enough and that you deserve it are totally bloody different. They're totally, totally different things. Everyone fucking wants it. Um, I've heard this show before and I've heard people swear and I've been holding it. <laughs> and anyone that knows me, I swear like a sailor. So it's probably going to come out a bit, a bit more. No disrespect to sailors. It's just an expression. But, um, um, Stick it up. I, know, you know, Stick it up. I, I mean, listen, if, you, if we went out on the street right now and shouted out, who doesn't want to be a movie star? You'd have like two people going, no, I don't fancy it really. Everyone else is like, yeah, I'm bang up for that because... You get to, you know, mess about for a living and drive fast cars and wear cool clothes and kiss beautiful women and have people kiss your ass and, you know, everyone's like following you around and you can't, you can't have a cup of coffee without people taking a picture out of you. And, you know, people are always thinking about you. Who doesn't want that? But it's a, it's a fucking occupation. It's a job. And every job takes work. Every mm. job takes work. Let's say that you really wanted to be a carpenter. We can't just fucking bang out a table. You've got to acquire the skills, put mm. the time in, put the practice in. You know that whole um, theory about you've got to put 10,000 hours into to something to become a master of it. 10,000 hours. I love that. Right? Malcolm Gladwell, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. To become a master. Well, if you're, not even, if you're not even, you know, going to a class or even getting together with your friends or even, you know, um, watching films and then, you know, watching them with an analytical eye or with a critical eye with regards your own performance or how would I do that if I had the opportunity? Start thinking like a fucking actor. You know, whenever, whenever you're having a conversation with someone, whenever you're watching some, um, a, a TV show or a film or a play or whatever, start fucking thinking from that perspective. Be an actor. And honestly, mm. that will add to, to those 10,000 hours. With the best will in the world, I don't know anyone who's actually done 10,000 hours of work as an actor. But all the other stuff, that is work. You've got to put that in and then you'll know that you deserve it and you'll be in a position like Amel when you go into that room and you have those five minutes or whatever it is. And you're ready. And you're ready and you don't blow it because I I equate that, that audition. That's your close-up. That's your close-up. That's your time to shine. And then another thing that really fucking winds me up about what people say about television and film actors is that they go, oh, it doesn't matter because you get to do it as many times as you want. Ooh, what a yeah. fucking load of bollocks. <clears throat> what time is money, man. Load of bo- exactly. They're moving on, man. Yeah. They're moving on. They're not looking at you so much. I mean, yeah, of course, the director's, you know, looking at the monitor and, the, you know, the, whatever. But 
the first person he's going to look to after they've wrapped is the cameraman and then the DP and go, did we get that? Yeah, we're moving on. <laughs> yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And if you're shit, they'll just use my close-up of me listening to you. Right. And I watched a film recently, and I'm not going to name the actors. I'd love to, but I'm not going to do it. And one of them's really, really good, and one of them's really, really shit. And there was a, there was a scene, and they were played brothers in this film. God, it was fucking terrible. Um, they played brothers in the scene, and there's that scene, you know, where they kind of have the, the bust up. How could you do that, man? I'm your brother, dude. How could you do this to me? Oh, my God, I can't believe you've done this, man. How could you do that? You betrayed me, bro. My heart is bleeding right now, you know. And he was so, the guy doing the speech was such a bad actor that they chose to use the close-up of his brother listening to him oh, no. rather than showing this fucking guy Isn't that funny, man? this performance. Isn't that funny? You there want- was so much pork flying around that set. I tell you what, it was like a fucking barbecue. I love like, that. You know, I was reaching for the ketchup. It was unbelievable. But, that's, that's um, an, and that's an important point because yes, they, will, they will edit you out if you don't give them what they need. They will. Yeah. And they're moving on. They're not going to, you know... Very rarely will they come up to you. If you're working on a $150 million picture and you're Johnny Depp and, you know, fucking Ridley Scott or whatever comes up to you and goes, you know what, Johnny, uh, I love what you were doing there, but I didn't quite get it. Then they'll do 15, 20 takes because you're Johnny Depp and we've got $150 million. But if you're on a TV show, forget about it. If you're yeah. on a 20, 30, $50 million movie, kind of forget about it too. We've got to move on, guys. We don't have the time. You yeah. know what I mean? So yeah. that audition... That's your close-up. You've got to fucking take it. Because otherwise it's like, yeah, thanks very much for coming in, man. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I love that distinction between wanting it and knowing that you deserve it. Yeah. There's a there's a psychological principle that I'm going to butcher here, but it has something to do with with you your performance in any one area of your life is directly proportional to your to your ability to believe that you are capable of doing it, mm-hmm. which is neat because then if you think like, if I could just develop the confidence, I could do anything. Yes, that's right. Which is, which, which confidence kind of, and kind of, competence though. Yes. You have to have, you know, confidence without competence is, is nothing. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's a lot of people walking around with a lot of confidence based on air. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. And you need competence. Um, you need competence. And the only way you're going to get competence is by practicing, learning, yes. Um, you know, dissecting, kind of going yeah. over. Your yeah, you've got to become a student of you this, know? Like, yeah. like anything. You know, you know, this this is how we see it, and this this is. Um, By the way, I brought back to PG thirteen for everybody out there, <laughs> <laughs> and then you're back to me, R rated. Kids, go to your room. Um, but <laughs> you know, it's it's that that's it, it, it in a nutshell. Is that it's it's a job and it's a profession and it's a craft and it's a trade and like all of those things, it's a physical trade. And it, yes, of course, it's, it, it's an emotional trade, but that, that's what it is. It's not some sort of mystical kind of um, <clears throat> mythical uh, thing which lives on the top of a, a mountain which is covered in clouds and, you know, you've got to climb this mountain at a certain time of day and pick the flower and then you'll be the greatest actor in the world. No, put the fucking time in. That's mm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. I love that. Because you know, we were talking about the secret. I, I, I read a book when I was 18 called Think and Grow Rich. Oh, yeah. And Napoleon I was by Napoleon Hill. And I was like, all right, what is, what is this? What is, what is the secret? Because you're searching for it. By the time you've read the whole book, you realize you've got all the principles to make it. Do you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. You, the, the secret is all the principles. And the secret is really in the title, Think exactly and grow rich you, get what I'm so you, mm-hmm. you, you know you've got to kind of think all right this is what i want and then start to develop the skills and principles to actually yes. get it but not, not sitting on your couch and looking at johnny depp on you know extra and going oh i wish i had hair like that or i wish <laughs> i i wish i had some blonde bird with a microphone asking me what sushi i had tonight you know fucking come on man you know you've got, you've got to look at that guy if you want to watch those kind of things and think how did he get where he is now and also you know watch what the guy does he's there for a reason he's a you know i mean i've chosen him i mean he's actually a very very interesting actor i think he's really talented and you know some people get lucky he's earned it that guy yeah he's handsome as fuck you know you walk around the street you'll see beautiful people all over this town i don't see them on the telly i just don't Mm -hmm. because being beautiful and whatever and thinking oh god i want it because i want to drive a freaking bentley and whatever that's not enough man it's not enough you've got to look at it pragmatically look at it realistically and I mean, this is going to sort of segue very nicely, actually, into what NBS is all about, the, the, the new British school. Um, you know, this, this, this class that um, Amel and I started, it started out of necessity because I just 
I, I see too many people and know too many people, to be honest, who are just looking at this whole thing in the wrong way. Not that, again, not to sort of put myself up on a pedestal and, well, I have all the answers that you need and you come to my class and you'll be Anthony Hopkins within a month. You know, it's not that, but it is looking at this thing, how it has to be looked at, this business, acting and also how you look at actors. I think, you know, and this, this is a kind of a modern phenomenon, is that in America... Actors here have been so kind of sullied uh, and duped by the L.A. kind of myth of celebrity. Celebrity and acting and actors, they're totally, they're totally different. Celebrity can be based on anything. Um, you know, no disrespect to them, but, you know, Paris Hilton is a celebrity, huge celebrity. Um, the Kardashians, huge celebrities. I don't know what it is that they do, but they're obviously doing it very well. But... What is it? But they're not actors, are they? They're celebrities, and that's different. If you want to be an actor, then you've got to realise what that means. Again, be a student of it. Study this bloody thing. Practice it. You can't be good at anything just straight out the bat. You can't be. Get in the frickin' kitchen and try and make a, you know, try and make a meal if you don't have a fucking Scooby-Doo. If you, if, that's rhyming slang for a clue. But, um, you know, you've got to, you've got to be practising this and, and also look at it in the right way. You've got to look at the work. It's, it's the work that's important, not yourself. Don't imagine yourself on extra climbing out of a Bentley. Mm. Imagine yourself booking a fucking job and doing it really well and I, going home and being like, I fucking kicked the ass out of that today. I love this. And this, this is a question I wanted to ask because, Amel, you said a little bit earlier that you went into the audition and you just slayed it. That was the word you used. And, when, and you just said now, TJ, you kicked the ass in the audition. Yes. How do you guys define that? What is that for you? For me personally, it's, um, it's literally walking out and leaving everything in the room and knowing that I could have done no better. It's mm. as simple as that. And you get that, you know, if your mind is not noisy and you're not that kind of like, oh, I'm the greatest, you ha get that knowing feeling, hmm. you know? You get that knowing feeling when you're in a room or you're on stage and you can hear when everybody's just like... Mm-hmm. Mm. You can feel it. Hey, all you do when you do that, when, when that happens and you've done that, you just go, walk out graciously and that's it. That's your job done. Yeah. And and whether they call you to... I mean, I had an audition a couple of days ago, one I've been working on kind of all my life, but I, I've been working on this 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 part for like like a week and I was into it, into it, into it, into it, so into it. Went in the room and completely, like, for me, nailed it to the point where I didn't have to walk out and question whether I did a good job. I don't I don't have to question whether they call me and say I'm right for the job or not because I did everything Especially, I could do. Yeah. Everything mm -hmm. I could do. And that's it. And you know it. Because when I go into a room and know that I haven't done the best I can do, I know that as well. Do you know what I'm saying? You have to get a, a kind of a voice within you, you know, not an imaginary voice, just your own judgment. You know, get your judgment to a sound place where you can tell when, all right, Amel, t I, Amel I turned up today or Amel, you were kind of off today. You've got to know it, you know, <clears throat> especially if you if you get onto get into a world of like the worlds we're in these days, like Twitter and Facebook or, you know, all these different worlds or, or you know, if you become somewhat of a famous person, people are going to fill your head with so much junk, you know, that it's going to be hard to kind yeah. of, uh, mm -hmm. it's going to be hard to, so you have to keep that inner voice. You know, I was speaking, to, I, I was uh, speaking to Kathy Bates about that about two weeks ago. You know, I said, because I was with her and loads of people come up to her and tell her great she is and she is a phenomenal actress. And I say to her, how do you keep mm. that? keep fine tuning because she goes well i don't listen to anything anybody says to a degree uh <laughs> what they say is their opinion <laughs> you know and if they say it was great then great if they say it was bad then cool that's their opinion i've got to know where i'm at i got to know what i decide is good and good and bad for me and mm -hmm. I, I really take that on i think that's really good advice you yes. know i, I think you know? i think as well yeah. that they're they're, they're a, every, everyone knows that it's like it's it's like one's moral code. Like everyone knows when you do something wrong or you do something right. You just you know it. That's ingrained in us. And it's like Amel said, you know you know when you nail it or slay it or kick the ass out of it or whatever you want to call it. And I also have a fair idea of how to do that. You know what I mean? I, I really do. And again, it's such a it's it's not gonna be anything too enlightening, I'm afraid, people. It's put the work in. You've got mm. to put the work in. Like when Amel was telling that story about that audition that he, he really wanted, and he said, you know, and I was working on it for a week. He was working on it for a fucking week. You know, I know people... And a real week as well. I know, I mean, I was talking, I had an audition, um, was it last week? I think it was last week for this part, and a really good mate of mine 
was going to the same audition for the same part. And we even went together to the audition and we saw other guys there and they're like, oh, you know, you came together and they thought that was weird. But it's like, I don't think it is weird. I'm not thinking about who else is in the room. It doesn't matter. I'm only thinking about myself. I don't know what you're going to bring, man. If I, if I walk in there and you're there, Trev, I don't know you as an actor, dude. I know you personally. You're a lovely bloke. Good luck to you. I know what I do. That's all that's important. I'm not thinking about you. You could be sitting, you know, whoever could be sitting next to you. I don't care. I'm going to go in there and do what I do because I'm prepared. I've got my techniques down and my attitude is right. Mm. And that's it. That's it. So when I walk in and I do my thing and I walk out and I have that feeling of contentment and tranquility, like Amel was talking about, it's because I know I've left it all in the room because I was prepared. And when they say, you ready to go? I was ready yesterday. So yeah, you're damn right. I'm ready to go now. And it's not an arrogant thing. I hope it's, it might be coming across like that or conceited or whatever. I'm not saying I'm the greatest actor. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, is that I am always ready for that five minutes. I'm always ready for my close-up. And I'm going to give them my best. Okay, guys, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed part one of our two-part interview with the new British school guys. I want to let it sink in so by the end of the second part, we can really kind of have a, a post-mortem discussion All about, right. we'll, about we'll, this interview. We'll save it. Yeah. We'll save it. We'll save it. So um, it's episode 49. It's been a little while. What is your pick of the week, my friend? Yeah, we didn't do a pick of the week for uh, we did not for episode forty eight because does I was that mean by we myself. Need, and does that mean we need to do two? No, <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> um, yeah, my, oh, my pick of the week this week. I, I was trying to figure out how to make this not biased to our LA listeners because it 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 is sort of biased towards people living in the area because my pick of the week is a show. And it's a show actually going on at the theater that Trevor and I work at. So full disclosure, we do work at this theater. However, it is an outside theater company coming in to do the show. So that kind of alleviates, that's the disclaimer, that that kind of alleviates uh, me from having a sort of conflict of interest here. It's called The Cripple of Inishman, and it is written by uh, Martin McDonough, who is quickly emerging as one of my absolute favorite contemporary playwrights. I love, 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 love this man's work. And the show at the Kirk Douglas, running at the Kirk Douglas Theater right now, is unbelievable. It's so fantastic. You will laugh. You will wince. You will laugh again, as one of the quotes says on the poster outside. <laughs> it is absolutely true. And I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine anyone going to the show and not liking it. His character's sort of dance that line between being realistic and being over the top. And I know that doesn't make any sense, but the thing is, is like, they're so ridiculous. These people and the things that they do and the things that they say are so insane that they sort of come full circle and you realize like that that's life. <laughs> like, that's just totally life. Life right. is like that. Yeah. So in an effort to make this a more universal pick of the week, I guess I'm just, this is my, I'm, I'm signing homework to our listeners. <laughs> I, I would love for everybody to go out and read Lieutenant of Inishmore, Cripple of Inishman, Beauty Queen of Anay, The Pillow Man, and maybe see the film In Bruges, which was written and directed by, by Martin McDonough. Cool. What's your pick of the week, senor? Well, my pick of the week is something I mentioned to you uh, a week ago, I so or so I think, um, when I was driving to Vegas this, this past weekend for my buddy's bachelor party, um, it was going to be it's a long car ride. It's about six hours, six and a half hours, and I wanted uh, something to kind of keep me entertained on the, the drive out. So mm-hmm. I remembered years ago when iTunes podcasts first kind of came on the scene. What's a podcast? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I was kind of you know poking around the uh, podcast section of the iTunes store, and I came across this this guy named Scott Sigler who is, was kind of an up-and-coming writer at the time, and he would write his books and read himself, or record himself reading the chapters as he would write them and then put that recording out as a podcast episode. And Brilliant. So over the course of like 30 weeks, he would write his novel and have the audiobook version done. Oh, um, so brilliant. It, at least I think that's how it unfolded. I, I didn't actually listen to it at the time. I was just kind of like, that's really cool. And I, and 
I just kind of made a mental note to come back to it someday. So fast forward like five, six years, I finally came back around to it and I downloaded um, a book of his uh, for free um, on iTunes called Contagious. And it's uh, extremely, extremely entertaining. Really, really good. And he reads it and he does all the voices and the, but the production value is great. His, his, his narration is fantastic. The story always keeps you guessing. It was like 27 episodes. In fact, I just finished it uh, coming over here today. I just finished the actual whole entire book. And he really has built up a following for himself because he kind of straddles two different kind of mediums. You know, the written word in a bookstore and then these podcasts. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's most of his, I think, not most, but a lot of his books are available as free pod, free podcasts. They call them patio books. <laughs> and uh, anyway, it was awesome. So um, if anybody has a chance, check out Contagious by Scott Sigler. You can go to his website, which is scottsigler.com, uh, or you can uh, just do a search for Scott Sigler in iTunes. Um, that's how I found Contagious. And, and what I like about it is the marketing strategy, because now I've heard this book and I loved it. And now I'm willing to spend money on his other books. You know what I mean? It's it's really it's like get a little bit away for free. It's it's what musicians do now. They have to do this now. Independent yeah. musicians, and I just think it's so cool. So mission accomplished. Yeah, great book. <laughs> really, really fun ride. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that does it, right? For that, episode that 49? does it for episode forty nine. Yeah. Wow. Wow. One more, and we are the big five zero. I know. We're we're gonna be middle aged pretty soon. Oh. <laughs> it's fifty episodes, not fifty years. Jeez, in 50 years, podcasts won't even exist. People go, what's a podcast again? (laughs) So thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to uh, respond to anything we talked about in this episode today, send us an email at insideactingpodcast at gmail.com or leave us a comment on our website at insideactingpodcast.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 213-2-ACTORS. That's 213-222-8677. You can find us on Twitter. We're at twitter.com slash insideacting. And or follow us at our individual accounts. I'm at twitter.com slash digital actor. And I'm at twitter.com slash Trevor Algott. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, I think we have facebook.com slash inside acting now. Yep. So facebook.com slash inside acting. And you can leave us reviews on Actorated and iTunes. That's right. Is um, that everything? Holy Just crap. about. We are everywhere. Just about. <laughs> we are everywhere. Oh, we're on Dig, too. Don't forget that. Oh, if you guys right. are on Dig, you can follow us. So yes. Is it just dig.com slash inside acting? I believe so. I believe cool. so. Or just do a search for inside acting podcast. Yeah. I think they have like a, I think it's dig.com slash users. We'll put it yeah, on the something website. Crazy. How about that? <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> Maybe it'll end up on the website where you can just <laughs> click on it and it will be easy instead of us talking about it for 10 days. <laughs> so and those- another link on our website. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. How about that segue, huh? That was Another good. link on our website is a big yellow link that says donation. In fact, there are, there are two last are time two. I checked. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, as you all know, if you've listened to the podcast before, maybe you're new to the podcast, we do this all out of pocket and we are uh, all, always planning on always keeping it free, free, free for you our listeners and so if you find any value out of it whatsoever um try to refrain from buying that one last cup of coffee at starbucks and instead take that 27 dollars for that one cup of coffee and put it towards the <laughs> podcast you can yeah. go onto our website and you can donate in one lump sum or you can subscribe to the podcast for three five ten or twenty dollars a month uh and on a recurring monthly donation basis and it's all uh, a tax write-off because you can write it off as an education expense and or a donation. It's up to you. And also, it would really help us out in keeping going because we just had another uh, another equipment failure. We just lost another uh, another mic, mic stand. stand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. They, we, we go through them like tissue. But, uh, <laughs> we, we got another one thanks to you guys. It also gives me warm fuzzies too when people subscribe. When they make that commitment to donate over and over and over again every month, just automatically, it just makes me feel really good. Yeah, it it means a lot. It's really, really neat to get those to get those emails. Yeah. That, that say you know you've received a donation, and we're like, oh yay, we're we're not talking into a void. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> so thank you guys for episode forty nine. I think that does it. I'm Trevor Elgott. I'm AJ Meyer. We'll see you next time. And in the meantime, hashtag warm fuzzies. Mm-hmm.